welcome once again to our Grow Mental Health Recovery podcast. My name is Sheila Tracy and I'm here this evening for the final podcast in our six-week COVID-19 initiative. This COVID-19 initiative was rolled out by Grow um, to help us all stay very positive and also create some hope in what was a very challenging um, six-week period for us. So we know um, many of our listeners, I suppose, have probably, since the restrictions were eased and maybe have ventured out for the first time um, today after about six weeks indoors, if they were cocooning, but it, it has been a very anxious time in terms of worrying about family and friends. And tonight's topic, anxiety, um, is something that, that comes up for us a lot um, in our GROW peer support groups. And tonight I'm joined by three guests. Um, and I suppose one of, one of our guests um, has been um, with GROW since 2015, um, Ned Hannum. And um, he's here tonight to tell us his mental health journey and to explain to us what I suppose the anxiety felt like at its worst and how he's managed his way and his journey through anxiety. But I'm also joined by um, Jackie Hoher and Mary Purcell, both of whom would have been with Ned along this journey. Um, Mary would have been um, an area coordinator uh, with Grove for seven and a half years and is now one of our regional managers and would have seen Ned at the very start of that journey. So Mary's gonna take us through that. And also Jackie's gonna take us through Ned, how he's, he, I suppose, what he brings to the groups now in terms of being able to empathise with people um, who are maybe struggling with very crippling anxiety um, at the moment. Mary, you, you might just even start at, um, you would have been probably at the, the very first meetings that Ned would have attended. And, and I suppose, what did that look like? And Thanks, Sheila. And thank, thanks for giving us this opportunity, because I suppose nothing, nothing certainly gives me more pleasure and to see somebody on that journey of recovery and to see the progress they make. And Ned is absolutely one of those people. And I do remember, if you ask me the date, I, I don't remember, but I do remember the very first night Ned walked into our GROW meeting and you said there Ned is going to tell us what it feels like or what his journey to anxiety feels like. I suppose what I can share with you is what it looked like from an observer's point of view. And I suppose when I think of Ned in those early days, um, it was, it was physical. I suppose that's one of the first things. His anxiety was so obvious because it presented physically. I suppose the first thing is, and I know our listeners can't see Ned, but uh, you know when they say you're not half the man you used to be, or but mm -hmm. Ned certainly is twice the man he used to be in terms of physically, because one of the first things I suppose that struck me about Ned was how thin, how, how thin he was, how ragged, you know, absolutely tortured looking. And it was a phrase I think I would often have said to Ned over the years, that when he came initially, that anxiety was written all over his face. When Ned used to come in, there's a corridor down in our building, down to where the meeting room is. And without fail, Ned always went to the bathroom first and, and was there for a period of time. And I think that's, that was his anxiety. You know, he got as far as the, as the building. He then had to get to the room and that's what he had to do to get there. Um, my, my thoughts as I go back to that time with Ned was, um, just when he would talk about, I suppose, even the effort of just getting into the meeting. Um, Ned would find it hard to speak at that stage. And, and anything I'm saying, I think Ned will, will agree with me and has given me his permission to talk about this. Because I think it's of such benefit to other people to be able to identify with that. Um, Ned would sit on the chair, but he would be so uncomfortable. He wouldn't be able to sit comfortably. He wouldn't be able to sit in one, you know, in one position. Um, 
the sweat would literally come out through him. And as it came to the time, maybe for Ned's turn to share or to give, to give his account of how things were, you could see that anxiety building up in him. Um, he would talk about his worry that he had come in and left a cooker on. He would have often have had to turn back on the journey into the meeting, go back to check had he turned off the cooker, had he locked the door. Um, I, I remember, you know, one of the things we do in Grow and, and people who are in Grow will know about this, but after a, a number of weeks of coming to Grow, people are encouraged, I suppose, to share their phone number and then, the, you know, they contact each other. I remember Ned saying to me that he felt he couldn't share his number with anyone because he didn't feel he was worthy of a phone call or he didn't feel he was worthy of taking up somebody's time to, to phone them. Um, you know, I suppose just as we talk now, things are popping into my head. You know, I remember him saying that he couldn't go into a coffee shop and sit and have a cup of coffee because his anxiety wouldn't allow him to sit there. Um, and I suppose I, I was part of that group. And, and I, you know, I suppose it is, again, the power of the group in GROW and the power of the GROW program, because I, I was only visiting that group once every couple of weeks. Ed and the other members were there week in, week out. And, and I suppose the one thing that I say now, seeing who Ned has become and what he has become and just seeing that journey unfold over the years, and Jackie will talk more about it, and Ned himself will, will be the best person to tell you how that worked for him. But I suppose the one thing I do know is this did not happen easily for Ned. The effort that he has put in over the last five or six years, I'd say you could count on one hand the number of meetings he's missed. And he's probably missed them because he was working late or because the the weather was so bad that he couldn't get in. But his commitment to his own recovery, I suppose, has been nothing short of phenomenal. And the things he has done, and I hope he'll tell us about some of those things, but it has been um, it has been incredible to see somebody come from a guy who couldn't sit in a chair with any degree of ease, who couldn't speak. Um, when, we'd, when we'd come to Ned and we'd ask him, did he want to share something? Uh, the effort even for him to say the words and I suppose that's what I mean when I say anxiety is physical. And I think, you know, look, we all suffer a bit with anxiety or a bit of stress from time to time. But I think only the people like Ned himself and others who are listening to us who live with that crippling anxiety will know what I'm talking about when I say that it's physical and it presents in that way and that it impacts on every aspect of your life when anxiety takes over. Um, and I suppose... Um, I always say, you know, on, on a night like tonight, I can die happy knowing that somebody like Ned has recovered to the level he's recovered and is the guy he is now. And that's true for a lot of people who come to grow. Uh, but it, it, it's absolutely fantastic to see that journey from a place where the man was crippled in, in every sense of that word, physically, emotionally, psychologically. Um, but he has put in the work and he has put it in with the support of his grow members and grow program yeah it's actually um thanks mary for that and thanks for uh you actually reminded me of stuff that i had actually forgotten you know um i i, I like i had so i had severe anxiety like you know and um i remember going into the meetings terrified going into the meetings really and um, i remember when you were waiting for when, when it was my turn to come to speak in the meetings it would even the anticipation of being Everybody focusing their attention on me was even more was even more uh, terrifying for me again. But of course, at the end of the day, what I realised was that um, 
it was just anxiety. It was nothing to do with me, really, in the sense of it was just anxiety manifesting all this stuff for me, like, you know. So um, I suppose to give you a bit of background, I suppose, you know, I, I was an only child and um, I, um, I, you know, my mother and father separated when I was very young and um, I grew up with my grandparents and um, I had no brothers or sisters, was set. So I grew up with my grandparents and my father and my uncle were in the same house, same house I'm living in now. And um, I was a very, I was a very, uh, I was a kind of a, an anxious child, you know, I, I, there was definitely a bit of um, nervousness there, but I had a good childhood, you know, I, my grandmother was great, my grandparents were great, you know, I suppose for me, I didn't realise um, until later on in life how the past had, had affected me as I went along, but then what, ha what happened to me was well, there was a couple of traumatic events that happened in later on in my life, so that would have pushed on the anxiety even more and um a lot of that feeling like that then um stemmed from um um feelings of not being feeling part of anything feelings of uh um not in a proper family unit as such feelings of being left out feelings of rejection because my mother hadn't been you know she left when i was four was uh, and that kind of stuff so um that would be the starting point for me. But then I suppose, like, in my teens and the whole lot, I was okay, you know, I was grand, I was in school, the whole lot, and um, I was, um, and when I got into my 20s, in my late 20s, um, it really started to hit me hard, I think, because I, I, I did a lot of drinking in my 20s, but the thing, I suppose, was this, you know, everybody did, you know. But I was kind of drinking at home, and then, you know, and uh, it started. So that was, wasn't helping things. I think I was drinking on the... The fact of the way I felt. Well, I suppose the bottom line at the end of the day, as time went on in my 30s and 40s, the anxiety progressively, it got bad, and then I went back okay, and then it came back again, and then up to a few years ago, it was very bad. It basically led me to a place of um, severe anxiety in the sense of like I had been doing my behavior was so ingrained in me that I didn't. So from, from at that stage, which was OCD, like, you know, I was checking everything, uh, running and racing every, every, everywhere. Um, you know, um, it came to the point where I, you know, I, I um, as you were saying, Mary, you reminded me there, um, I, remember, I remember driving to work one morning, I was halfway out the motorway, and what happened was um, a talk came into my head, um, oh, geez, I never turned off the... I never turned off the cook with the house on fire. This big catastrophic thought was in my head. And the anxiety was so great, it was like a, it was like a magnet. I turned the car around and I drove all the way back home. Of course, the house wasn't on fire or anything. Like, everything was turned off anyway. And um, I was half an hour late for work, like, you know. And then I had all the anxiety of being late for work. So, like, it was going from one thing to the other. And... Um, you know, it's um, so what I had to do was I, I was in the same, I, I was lucky enough, I, I had a good therapist, and I was going to, I was starting out and grow at the time. And um, I suppose I learned um, how to kind of separate myself from the anxiety in the sense of I had, I knew I had something had to change. My behavior, my behavior had to change, like a thought would come into my head, oh, Jesus, did, did I turn off the cooker halfway up the road? I get the big whoosh of anxiety. I said, no, I'm going to leave going now. I'm not going to go back. You know, um, simple things like um, 
I could check the, the front door lock 10 times. And it got to the stage where, uh, um, it sounds silly, but it's, it's, it's not actually funny when you're going through it, but it sounds silly. I was actually, I remember one, three o'clock in the morning, getting up three o'clock in the morning, one morning, checking the water meter, like, to see how much water was going through the, the, the water meter. I had a flashlight out in the middle of the night, looking down at the water meter, like so. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 was, uh, it was quite severe, you know. And Ned, you, you mentioned that it had kind of started maybe in your, you'd recognised it in your 30s and and then it would have come back and kind of, how did, the, how did you feel when, would you be kind of quite aware that I'm getting anxious again or that, that certain well, patterns were returning? Yeah. I suppose for me, it's actually part of my, my DNA in the sense of it was the only way I knew how to be. Okay. Anything was anxiety, you would say. Like, all, it becomes your default position. So when you don't realise, because you're so, you're living with it so long, you, like, I'd have a certain, oh, I'm okay now. I'd have a certain level. Oh, okay, that, that's past now and I'm fine. But then something would crop up, like, you know, something like my grandmother would die and all this stuff and, you know, stuff that happened to my family and all this stuff. And, you know, I suppose um, that triggered it off again, like, you know. So um, I suppose I did have a certain level of it all along, but I, 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 when something, you know, um, something um, would happen in life, you know, like a death of someone in the family or something like that, or, um, you know, even getting the letter to the, the post box, looking at a, looking at a letter, uh, um, a new speed bill or something, you know, my, my mind would fire off, the immediate call would fire off and, and I'd get a panic attack or something like that, you know, so, um, but I didn't, I, I was kind of in denial a bit, I think, but I knew by my mid-40s it was so bad that I needed to, something needs to be done here, like, you know, I, I mean, I was getting severe panic attacks. I used to be inside and grow inside the meetings. And I, I, I remember, I, oh, Christ, there was a load of them. <laughs> I can't remember them all, but I remember sitting down and I just wanted to run away over that meeting, like. But I was told in my therapy, you hold your ground, you um, do your breathing, and no matter how you feel, you sit it out, and that's what I did. And, you know, that's with all my um, anxiety, I, I, what I realized is that anxiety is, it basically doesn't want you to do anything. Anxiety only wants you to do anxiety. That's all it wants you to do. It doesn't want you to go out. It doesn't, go out, it doesn't want you to go to a coffee shop to enjoy yourself. It doesn't want you to meet your friends. It doesn't want you to ring somebody. It doesn't want you to do anything. All it wants to do is anxiety. And what I didn't realize is because my, I was so used to being at that, default level of anxiety I didn't know any better so you know um so I had to force myself to do certain things like I, I started um went to a coffee shop and on my own and um you know there wasn't always somebody there most of the time there wasn't and I remember I used to walk down the shopping center and I'd be rating I'd be walking down the middle of the people passing me and I'd be in a, in, in a high state of anxiety no, it could be, I, I, and I'd be rating it, level, what's it now, level seven, level eight. And then I'd be saying, oh, it's only, it's only a level seven, like, you know. And, you know, and then I'd sit down with the coffee and I'd drink the coffee. And um, I would not, uh, you know, race out of the, I actually practiced walking slower. Because I was always running and racing, you know, from stress after my grandmother died and a lot of stuff happened. And 
stuff happened in my life and I was so used to running and racing around. Everything had to be done now. Everything has to be done now. Everything has to be perfect. You know, worst thing for anxiety, you know, it's, that's, that's the worst thing ever for anxiety, like is perfectionism. Um, and then that's, I started from there and then it was extremely hard work, like, you know, <laughs> it's extremely hard work, but it's worth it if you, you, but you have to keep at it. I suppose what I'd like to say as well is that there is hope out there. There is hope for you. You know, I thought there was no hope for me. I mean, I had panic attacks. I remember having a panic attack and going for an hour or two. I'd be sitting beside at work, like looking at the computer, right? And the sweat would be pouring off me. And I'd be telling myself, it's okay, it's all right, everything's fine. It's okay, it's all right, everything's fine. I know what this is. I know what it is. I'm not going mad, I'm not going crazy. This is a panic attack and it's okay, it'll be fine. And you accept it. And then I started to do my breathing exercises. I'd accept it and to calm down a bit. And then somebody might come in and ask me to do something to fire off again. And, you know, I, 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 um, I'd have to repeat the whole exercise again. But I suppose all I wanted to do was go home. But no, I, I, I couldn't do that. I knew I couldn't do that. Because number one, I, I, I'm living on my own here. I had to support myself. So I didn't have a choice. You know, I could have ran home and, you know, and stayed at home. Could I just make a point, Ned, that you might yeah. share with the listeners? I, I remember there was some, it was like an exercise you used to do where you used to talk to the anxiety. Oh, yeah, and you yeah. used to say, you know, I am anxious and it's okay, rather than I am anxious. But That's very important. I, I think that, was, that was very powerful for you. Yeah, that was one of my um, ter therapy things to do because yeah. uh, for me, anxiety, the link with anxiety to me was that there was something wrong with me. I've done something wrong. Um, I've done something wrong, there's something wrong with me, I'm not okay, I'm, um, nobody likes me, nobody wants me, nobody loves me, all this stuff going through my head. And when I was anxious, so what I used to do was, I'd have a, I'd have a sheet of paper with me, and I'd, anytime I got anxious, I'd say, even though I feel this anxiety, and it's very important how it's worded, because you're, it's, it's, it's about presentation of information to your brain when you're going through that. So even though... I feel this anxiety. In other words, you know, I acknowledge this anxiety. I'm okay. I'm all right. As a person. See? Yeah. So then you're splitting it down the middle. You're saying, okay, I'm anxious, which is okay. Okay, I acknowledge that. But at the same time, I'm okay. I'm all right. You know, not that I'm awesome or fantastic or, or you know, um, you know, I'm the most brilliant person in the universe. But just to bring it down to an early level, um, I'm okay, I'm all right, like you know. Yeah. And um, I don't know how many fool's cap pages I've written down. Even though I feel, uh, even though I feel, um, um, you know, even though I feel depressed, it's okay, I'm okay, I'm all right. Now I'll get up and do something. That's the important thing, I think, is that with a lot of people is that they let the feeling. Um, they let the feeling um, dictate your behavior. But once you change the behavior, the feelings then will follow afterwards. Okay. If, you let the, if you let the depression or the anxiety, if, you, if, you're, if you're sitting at home depressed looking at the four walls, right? Yeah. It's just going to feed into depression. So despite the, the way you're feeling, you get up and you do something. You hoover the floor, you wash the dishes. No matter how insignificant it is, it's hard work, but it has to be done. Um, and it's the same with the anxiety as well, like, you know, even though I feel this anxiety, 
or how can I alleviate this anxiety now will be a question. So your brain then has to answer, answer that question like, you know, you just, you don't say to yourself, why am I feeling anxious? Because then your brain will come up with an answer and they'll say, because you're stupid, you're terrible. You know, so you just say, this is what I used to say to myself, because I was taught this through my therapist. You know, how can I alleviate this anxiety now? Um, you know, I remember, you know, you can go down to pay a bill. I'd have to go down to the shopping center, to the post office to pay a bill. Um, I'd be thinking about going down and be all anxious about it. And um, then I start saying, Oh, it'll be grand now when I get this bill paid off. It'll be great, you know. Yeah. You know, um, or when I come back up, then after paying the bill, I say, "Oh, that's great." Then we got that bill paid, and then start progressing on. I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to that. And I think yeah. um, as well, every human brain needs to interact with another human brain. We're social beings, right? We have to talk to each other because if we don't, we we get anxious. We get depressed. When we're sitting at home and we're, we're not, and, and we're anxious and we're not doing anything, we get more anxious because you're given, that's what anxiety wants. Anxiety wants more anxiety. That's all it wants. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And by the time then you could be sitting in your chair then for an hour then and, and you're in the middle of a panic attack before you know it. Yeah. Or you know, the doorbell could ring, you know, it's, 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 and I suppose like, um, the main thing that I learned is, and I hope somebody gets something out of this, but, um, Anxiety is um, it's 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 a state of bodily arousal. It's a bio it's a biological thing. It's it's the cortisol and the adrenaline and all the whole lot, right? So basically, your body is telling your brain, "I'm in danger. There's something wrong here. I, something's not quite right." So your brain then has to find something to to. It led, the anxiety then will, 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 will say to your brain, I'm in danger. And then um, your brain, will uh, a thought will come in and uh, um, the thought will seem dangerous and you'll do whatever your brain tells you to do or you'll think about something in the past. Because it has to find a thought, you see. It has to react to a thought and that's what fires it off. Fires it off. So basically with me, it was a, it's a misfiring in, in the amygdala. The, 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 it's the, it, they call it the the um the ancestral part of your brain with the fight flight and the freeze thing so yeah so I, I i used to use various techniques of um breathing and i used to do a lot of meditation and um and changing my thinking as well in the sense of like i'm not you know um it's not my business what other people think um stuff like that um stuff that, that was pertinent to me like you know that's not to say i don't get anxious every now and again i think we all do but i i don't have that level of anxiety that was um that was um used to be with me for, for for years like you know and um i think uh, the, the the important thing is is for, for people to know is that there's nothing wrong with you mm. it's, it's not you you see it's the anxiety is the problem yeah and it's how you react to the anxiety and the depression that can come afterwards then when your anxiety levels go down Depression comes in then a little bit and the tumbleweeds start rolling and you say, what's wrong here? No, I'm depressed, you know. And that's when you need to go out and mingle and try get into a group and socialize and, and or do the things, you know. Put, you have to put a huge effort in, you know. If I can, Ned, um, um, you've spoken through so many things there that have been a problem for you. And like, I've only known you for two years. I've only been in the same um, GROW meetings with you for two years. But the Ned I see um, 
is completely different to all of that you've just talked about. The way the way I see and hear what you're saying and what Mary has said beforehand is the story of anxiety owning Ned um, yeah. and controlling Ned. And yeah. what I see now um, in our group meetings um, when I do attend as the area coordinator, I see Ned um, owning anxiety from time to time and being in control of it. And it might be in the back pocket as a part of the backstory and a part of a life history. But I see you definitely owning it. You own that story. It doesn't own you anymore. It doesn't control mm. you. And I mm. see a lot of your techniques. They're not very obvious. Just so anyone listening um, knows when people do develop techniques on coping with anxiety, things like writing down, you know, positive things or assessing where the situation's at. Is this thing possible or probable? Is it um, likely to affect me? How can I change what is about to happen? All of these things that people do as their technique, um, they're not very obvious to the to the common, um, you know, mm. man or woman. We don't see them very evidently, but I do see the uh, help that you provide to other people and members in the group. You know, like we have, and I have seen an, 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 a variety of uh, disorders or mental illnesses in our rooms. You know, we could have people suffering from bereavement or bipolar depression family problems, anxiety, um, overcoming drug abuse or alcoholism. And I've seen Ned provide peer support to these people. That is if so empowering, you know, that to, to, these, to these people who are new to the groups, to see someone who's gone through the entire journey and um, from the really, really, really hard times to creating and crafting the journey yourself, um, using the programme as you go along to assist you on the way, as well as getting your one-to-one -one with a therapist. All these things work in conjunction with the role yeah. meeting and yeah. it becomes, like you have just um, cited it there, it becomes hard work. Yes, it's very hard at the start. It's very hard to identify that you have an illness or anyone has an illness and it's hard work then to define the parts of the programme that suit you. But the group have always been there to assist and that's what you do now, Ned, from... You're, you're the veteran, the elder within the group, um, and you're providing those um, assistances to people. Uh, you'll have a page number or you'll have a technique that you provide to somebody who's in, who's in dire straits, you know, or they've got um, something that's blocking them from getting on with their day-to-day, -to -day, you know. So I guess yeah. I'm trying to highlight the success story that is part of Ned as well, um, definitely part of your story. and. Um, it's the story of Ned that I see now, and that's fantastic. You know, that's yeah. that's credit to you. All that work, um, and that you master it and you maintain it. And I see grow, and I see mental health um, recovery as a bit like constant gardening. You know, the constant gardener that you've always got to tend to this, move that. Oh, I don't like the look of that there. I put it over here. I think mental health and recovery and grow is very like that. That we like to do a little tip away each day and that's what keeps us going and that's what keeps us healthy and it keeps us getting up every morning yeah and um another thing that i used to do a lot too was um a thought would come into my head if something that happened in the past or whatever or a worry would come into my head i said no not going there not doing that i'm not going there now yeah. i'm not doing that now i'm getting up knowing i'm doing this but i'm not doing you now yeah mm -hmm. And that's, that's an important thing as well, because 
because you see anxiety is a bully right and it will try everything in its power to try get you right if it'll pick on something from the past that you've done or it'll pick on something in the future or my house is going to go on fire whatever and it'll start from there and then you're in a tizzy and before you know it you're in the middle of an anxiety attack or whatever so my technique was to break it like break it like 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 with ocd with the ocd um you know checking things oh i'm not going to check that now i'm going to go do something else okay I'm not going to do that and then you're breaking the link between the anxiety and the thought and you're and what happens in is when you and i do it on purpose i get up out of the, i get up off the, t- the chair like i'm watching tv and i get a talk like come into my head you know and um one of these repetitive tasks that you don't want you know what i mean these thoughts i say listen just go away now will you Fuck off i'm not listening to you <laughs> And I'd go up in, and I get up in, and I go go for a walk out the back, or pick up my guitar, or do something else. I'm not doing it now, and I'd actually get angry at us. I say, listen, I'm not listening to you now, right? I'm off and doing something else. Now you can say what you want, but I'm doing this. Brilliant. So my memory of it actually, Ned, was that it was much stronger than "feck off." You really gave it. You gave it the full monte. There was a couple of expletives in there, right? <laughs> Absolutely, and we're all necessary. Yeah, but it is a very effective word, like you know, with the word I'm talking about, the F word, yeah, like you know, yeah. you know, but you're not telling yourself no that you're you're telling that to telling the anxiety, whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm you know I'm okay, I'm all right, but I'm not doing you now. I'm I'm just getting up here and I'm doing this, mm-hmm. and even if it's the smallest of things, and you'll find, and it's not easy. Like this is not easy. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not perfect. I still get I still get anxiety every now and again, but not like this constant state of anxiety all the time. What, what, what for me was, was the default position. There was no gray, it was black or white. There was either anxiety or depression. There was no in between. You know, there was no joy, there was no satisfaction of getting something done. And there was, no, everything was a blank, you know, it was either one or the other. And that's what it, that's what it traps you into. I, I think that's what happens to people is they get trapped in that default state of anxiety. And they just don't know how to get out of it. Mm. But there's actually a couple of very simple things that you can do to get, and, and believe that you can get out of it. Yeah. There's always hope. I don't care how people are feeling now, if anybody who's listening to this now, there is hope for you and you will get well. Brilliant. There is hope and you will get well. And that's and such, it's such a strong message. And yeah. It, yeah. it ties Ned back into I suppose the the reason that we're doing these podcasts and to, to keep people hopeful and your story is is just full of hope and full of I suppose belief that that you you can master this anxiety um, yeah. and I, I know we're, we're we're kind of running out of time but I know that um speaking to to Mary and Jackie they had mentioned that from I suppose back in the difficult days to, to picture you as somebody who would pick up an instrument and play in front of people was something that they, they never thought or th- that they really couldn't imagine. And now it's something you do all the time. And I know you offered to, to sing us out of this podcast for a little number just to yeah. show people again how, how I suppose you, how far something. you've come and how good your journey is. Yeah, I'll try something. Perfect. Yeah. And thanks, Mary and Jackie, for being part of tonight. And, and thanks again, Ned, for joining us. No problem, Sheila. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Jackie and uh, Mary. Thanks Thank you, Ned. Thank you, Ned. All right, I just get myself together here now. Yep. Okay. Uh, this is a Johnny Cash song.